Hey, happy Wednesday. So uh, this is super last minute, but I do have an event tonight. If you're in Denver, it's free. That's Wednesday the 24th on adrenals and macros. I just realized my shirt is on backwards. <laughs> okay, so that's how this day is going to go. Um, I am really excited to talk with everyone at CrossFit 720 about the things that I love to talk about and also um, just in person and showing some fun muscle testing stuff. So if you can come, come, uh, this podcast is so fun. This is with Emily. She, um, is from an, from New York and I connected with her. She's just overall badass loves functional movement. You're going to love listening to her talk about movement and talk about posture and talk about, um, just working with clients that tend to sit at a desk. I just really enjoyed it because that's kind of one of my obsessions right now is helping with people. Uh, I love, of course, my 21 day MFIT challenge. We just finished a round and we're starting another round February 5th, the same version. If you missed out, it's so awesome. If you need a meal plan, if you need some accountability, sign up for it. It's 21 bucks. But I'm also really getting into um, some corporate wellness stuff and helping people who sit at a desk. And I just really love it because it's a different, it's just, it's important. And I think it's overlooked and I'm excited to work with the companies I'm working with. And I'm trying to um, think of anything else that I'm obsessed with. I did just do a nine news segment um, Denver nine news with girls Inc. And we did a full story and I got to say from nine news, I'm Emily Schramm. And it was so cool. <laughs> so I think I'm kind of over the moon about that. I love working with them and I will try to post the segment and I'm just so excited when you think of not, you know, girls Inc. And you see the girls and you work out with the girls and you're like, Holy shit. I just donated $50,000 to this. Um, I'm just grateful for the MTV and Champs versus Stars. So lots of amazing things happening in my life, and I'm grateful for them all. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Meathead Hippie. See you next week. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate Meathead Hippie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Emily Kyber. I love your first name. Welcome to Meathead Hippie. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, we got introduced by Dr. Gabrielle. Gabrielle Line and I did a podcast on a lot of protein and protein metabolism. And she, as soon as we got off the phone, she was like, you have to talk to my friend Emily. So I'm really glad that we finally got to make this work. Um, and when I told you Meathead Hippie, you were like, Oh my gosh, this is perfect because I am an equal amount of meathead and hippie. <laughs> For sure. Uh, <laughs> tell me, you said briefly about your hippie side. Tell me a little bit about what you used to do before you ended up in the big city. Yeah. So I used to, during the summers between uh, my college semesters, I would work in the park service. So I worked at Yellowstone National Park as a uh, park ranger, but specifically bear management. Um, yeah, like so we brown bears, right? Or is it yeah, brown, brown bears, bears grizzlies? Right. Yeah, so people would leave their food out, bears would get into the cars and the tents, and they'd crave that salt and they would rock on cars and tear off doors. And so, um, it was really a people problem, not a bear problem. But we would, 
um, trap and tag and relocate the bears, the problem bears in Idaho. And usually a month later, they would be right back to the very exact spot, like hundreds of miles. They would be like transported via helicopter. Um, and they'd and, always find their way back. And they find their way. They love that salt. Um, <laughs> and then, I, yeah, it's crazy. And then I was a backcountry ranger in Sequoia and um, took kids hiking and like. Uh, I have a bear question. Like, yeah. How close have you gotten to a bear? Um, I have stuck a thermometer up a bear's butt. <laughs> Was it a lake? Was it tranquilized? No, it was tranquilized. But we wanted to regulate, you know, because it's summertime and you put a little bowl of water and they like, and they put your head in it, um, their head near the bowl of water and they, they sip it like with their tongue like a little puppy. Because they're tranquilized. You want to make sure because if they get dehydrated, it's a really big deal. Yeah. So the, you have to regulate the temperature. And I was like the newbie on the bear management team and I was the anal temperature regulator. <laughs> Was that crazy the whole time where you just like, this is happening? Was it a huge bear? Uh, he was pro- like between um, like 250 and 350. He's a big bear. Oh, a big bear. I was just watching this. Um, I love watching nature shows and there was this, uh, it was a jungle theme. And so they talked about jaguars and I didn't realize how big jaguar males got. It was like a 350 pound and just like so fast and climbing up trees with a crocodile in its mouth. It was insane. <laughs> so I can't even imagine a bear. Well, that's a very fun fact. Uh, yes. we, I'm, and I'm fascinated because I love New York a lot, but I never don't, I don't think I could live there. How do you go from being outside all the time to, in, to city life? The concrete yeah. jungle. You know, I think um, I went to chiropractic college in Portland, Oregon. So I had like a good full four years of hiking and going up to Mount Hood and going to the coast. And there's something about the East Coast energy and the drive and the ambition that I was really drawn to. Uh, to. And I just wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I came to New York uh, in 2007 and it's literally the first time in my entire life that I've really felt like a place to call home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still, now that I'm getting a little bit older, not that old, but a little bit older, like my heart craves hiking and being outdoors, mm-hmm. but not all the time. So we just took a trip to Sedona over Thanksgiving, we went hiking, um, and we took our, we have a two-year-old baby Elvis. So we took him in like the baby backpack and so we still get our doses of like going outside and hiking and being outdoors. But there's just like this vibrancy and energy of the city that I just really love. Yeah. I can respect that. Like when I go to New York, one of my favorite things about it is that nobody, nobody cares about who's doing what. You could be busting tables. You could be washing dishes. You're, you you're just doing a job. And I feel like in Colorado, maybe it's because so many people are moving here right out of college is like there's a standard of what their job should look like right out of college. Instead of mm. just being like, I can, I'm doing whatever it takes to make ends meet. And just to, it's not glamorous, but I'm doing it. And I always have felt that way about New York, how wonderful it is that people just are doing it without thought, without, you know, they just don't care. And I think that's such a good trait to have if you are especially trying to get somewhere with your life. So absolutely, it triggers that like really primal survival. Mm-hmm. Like 
really brings out the hustler, like the good hustler in people. Like people are willing to work an 18-hour day and not even think twice because well, they have that ambition. <laughs> which is why I think, you know, it's so great that you exist in New York, <laughs> your practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, and I love, you know, we're going to talk about movement a lot in this episode just because we do talk so much about nutrition. I love your quote on your website, transform your movement, transform your life. And it's just so simple, but it's true. We kind of are used to moving at a certain pace or with pain or in a way that isn't optimal and it catches up with us and affects every aspect. I am curious with somebody working in New York, do you see a lot of the stress causing, I mean, what do you, what are the effects of stress that you're seeing on your clients and how do you help balance it where you want them to keep hustling? Same for you stay hustling, keep grinding, but also be able to tap into optimal health. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of um, work hard, play hard New Yorkers who uh, work a 16, 18 hour day, take lunch at their desk and don't think there's anything abnormal about that. Mm. So um, a lot of our stressed out New Yorkers are huge chest breathers um, and they come in with like neck pain, headaches, you know, also from probably poor posture and too many hours behind the computer, mm. but, um, lots of breathing dysfunction. Um, people who have sleepy glute muscles, a weak core, can't squat below 90. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we are talking about like 20 year olds. So, um, you know, just the, the, we call them like our corporate warriors, um, that amount of time behind the computer is uh, so damaging. So we really try to um, give them tools and tips and tricks and things that we've learned along the way to create longevity. Mm. Yeah. And is most of your practice hands-on? Are you doing more online work? You know, like for you, do you have um, do you easily get sucked into too much computer time as well? Um, so my computer time is after my 10 hour work day. Yeah. So you are a New Yorker. <laughs> I'm totally, but I'm like on my feet. I'm yeah. doing exercises with patients. I'm super hands-on. We do a lot of active release technique. Mm. So I literally have patients like look up from the table and they're like, wow, you are literally working out all day. Um, which is totally true. I don't have any online courses yet. I actually just joined, um, JJ Virgin's mastermind to kind of help guide that process. Um, so that's, that's kind of this year is all about that. I like that. So yeah. let's start, let's talk, sorry, fat cat's gotta, <laughs> gotta go. Um, let's talk a little bit about some, those corporate warriors. I love working with them as well. Uh, outside of, I like the chest breathing or the, you called it chest breathing, right? So yeah. What are, you know, they come to you, their glutes aren't activating, they have back pain. One of the things we first talked about when we were kind of going back and forth and scheduling the podcast was this uh, concept of sucking in your tummy and tightening mm -hmm. your tummy and how that's all a lie. And I want, <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to dig into that for me a little bit when it comes to tightening up your, your core and your glutes and getting engaged. What is the issue that you see when people are doing it? Right. So I think there is a common perception that we should draw our belly up and in. Um, it's a very like Pilates-esque mm -hmm. concept. 
Um, so we rehab people like how babies moved when they, when the first two years of life. So you never see a baby pull their belly in. You never see a baby pull their shoulders down and back and squeeze their shoulder blades. And, um, you know, for some reason, and maybe it's a, you know, like wanting to get like very chiseled six pack and obliques, like so much of our movement classes and our boutique fitness classes in New York are all about the six pack obliques and that cute little dimple on the side of your butt for your glute mate. <laughs> um, so, so for us, you know, I feel like part of my mission on this planet is to get people to breathe down, get like a 360 expansion through their belly, get a uh, eccentric load on their transverse abdominis, that muscle that's like your personal corset that wraps all the way around. So if we're drawing up and in all day, um, not only are we squeezing our organs, you know, most people who do that are constipated Mm -hmm. and can give ourselves um, some pelvic floor dysfunction because we never let our pelvic floor relax if we're kind of always sucking in. And, um, and, And then we teach people to brace, right? So we have, I can't tell you, like 80% of the people we see um, go on to a strength program. And the majority of those people have thought that when they pick up a weight, and we have people deadlifting, that they think that they should be pulling in their stomach as they deadlift, mm. which is, uh, is it just like mind blowing when you know, you know, the research and information out there. But I just, I think people don't know. So, so talk me through what you would have someone do they're getting their hands on the bar, right? They're dropping their glutes, their chest is up. What are the cues that you use with those people to retrain that kind of thought pattern? Yeah. So we'll have them um, take a breath in down into their belly and we want their breath to go as low as like to the inside of the fronts of your hip points. So like to the inside of your ASIS, Mm -hmm. you want to think we cue people to breathe wide And then we cue people to breathe into the low back. So even before we get them, before we have them step up to the bar, we are, um, because it's hard to own belly breathing Hmm. um, in a standing position because it's a very neurologically developed position, right? We learn to stand around 12 months, uh, 12 months old. So we'll get people to breathe down into their belly on their back with their knees at 90, on hands and knees, and like a half kneel. And as you progress, like just like a baby learned, right, they breathe into their belly and they braced. And for the first six months, a baby, all they are practicing is learning to bring their knees up to 90 with a belly brace. Mm. So we get people to learn that. And then we take them to the bar and we will get them to kind of click the bar even before they pull and just find that brace in their hinge. And they might take a breath in and they might take a breath into their chest and arch their back. And they'll be like, okay, pause, breathe out, take a breath in, get it low, breathe wide. Uh, Sometimes we cue to have people put their tongue on the roof of their mouth about an inch behind their teeth. Sometimes that can kind of cue getting people to breathe down. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once they own that, go ahead, you know, almost the hardest part is to keep that brace as you exhale right? Because it keeps that intra-abdominal pressure and it keeps your spine protected. So even if they get their breath down there, now they have to brace. Yeah. And they pull that weight, which is very, very hard for people. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is why it's so easy to see injuries when they do it for time. Oh, yes. <laughs> what if, okay, so if somebody is doing um, the breath, talk. I still see this a lot, so I just kind of want to make sure everyone is on the same page here. Sure. It comes to breathing during a squat. Yeah. Do they breathe in before they squat? Hold it, squat, stand up, breathe in again, hold it, squat, or are they breathing throughout the movement? I just want to know from your professional standpoint where sure. you stand on this pattern. So you want your breath to match your exertion and your load, right? So yeah. if you're going to pull a heavier weight, so at, so like we do a lot of front squats and goblet squats because um, we don't do a lot of back squatting just because you really have to own thoracic mobility. And sometimes people will overarch in their low back and grind in their hips with a lot of back squatting. So we're mm-hmm. usually doing like goblet squats with a kettlebell or front squats with a bar. Um, so we'll have them breath in at the top, go down. And as they get out of the hole, if they need that exhale to kind of create a piston to drive them up, they're exhaling out of the hole or they're coming out of the hole and then exhaling as they come to stand. I love that. What are your favorite lifts that you use for people that are corporate warriors? (laughs) So we have our um, essential seven. And for us, it's the seven movements you need to do to be a human being (laughs) in our opinion. Um, So it's some sort of squat. So whether a goblet squat or um, we like asymmetrical goblet squats, um, some sort of hinge. So like a deadlift or a kettlebell swing, Um, some anti-rotation. So Palov press, single arm kettlebell swing, Mm -hmm. Um, some sort of push. So push up or press overhead, some sort of pulling action. Um, some sort of carry and I'm trying to think, did I go through all seven? Uh, some sort of carry as well, like carrying, like as if you're carrying your groceries, like a heavy carry. A farmer's carry or a waiter's carry. I love those. Yeah. And, and basically for- like everything that like, we're trying to make people fit for life. Right. So we're not doing like crazy burpees. And if we do, we do our like version of like a humane burpee where we're like stepping back and stepping up, you know? <laughs> Like there's just so, there's so much of like kill it and go hard in New York and I'm sure across the entire country. And it's like, where's this nuanced like, hey, let's take care of our body and have amazing form and, you know, impeccable alignment. And once you hit fatigue, yeah, you're going to like default into an extension pattern, but like, let's have good form up until that fatigue point. Yeah. yeah. You, You personally, you know, kind of getting to this point did you have your own kind of story of pattern breakdowns or uh, physical like illnesses, injuries that just made you want to be in this field? I always feel like it's. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was 14 and I went to go slide tackle. I was playing soccer and um, I'm sure this girl just kind of like fell on my ankle, but I remember it as she like jumped up and like came down on my ankle and um, you know, uh, major ankle sprain, like purple, I had to walk off the field, um, swelled up like a balloon. And so I did like a good three months of physical therapy, rehabbing it and thought I was like in a good stable place. And I started getting headaches, um, after I was done with my rehab about six weeks later. And so my, uh, chiropractor 
um, found just through muscle testing. He's like, you know what? Your ankle is still uh, sloppy, hypermobile, isn't stable yet. And it's working its way up the kinetic chain and your neck right at your upper cervicals is locking down to find that stability that your ankle's missing. Wow. So, you know, he adjusted my neck, but the really, what really made my neck feel better was going back to like wrapping my ankle and returning to uh, rehabbing my ankle. Cause I kind of like stopped prematurely. It's like, eh, I feel good. I'm fine. I'm 15. I, <laughs> yeah, I get better quickly. Invincible. <laughs> I heal fast. <laughs> yeah, I feel heal fast. And I literally saw my chiropractor twice. And granted, I was 15 and healed fast. But it really had this impression of like, how does the body compensate? How can injuries, you know, come up from like old injuries? And we see that all the time mm-hmm. uh, in our practice. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how connected the body is? It's just lifelong injuries that you have to reverse and they take so much time and people don't really want to take the time to do it. You know, they, do you get that a lot where people see the steps or protocols that you have for them and it's just, it feels like forever or do you kind of teach that right away with the clients that are coming in? Like this is a journey, this is going to take some patience and we just have to do it right. I think the right way is always the longer way, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people are coming to us as like the last resort. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen people who literally in their intake form, they're like, I've seen eight physical therapists, two chiropractors, two surgeons, people who've had surgery before. And, um, and they're like, and I'm here to see you because <laughs> you look head to toe and look everywhere and don't just look at the pain area. Mm-hmm. You really try to uh, find the root cause. So um, some people come in and they're already expecting to do the work. Some people we have to set expectations. And I think it's important. I think a really good physician or a great physician creates not only a treatment plan, but creates this collaboration as if you are their partner in health, right? Mm-hmm. So we, have, we send people videos of their exercises because everyone seems to love to um, misplace pieces of paper <laughs> with their exercises. And we really have an open dialogue. So we encourage people to re- video their exercises and email them to us so we can help them with their form even when they're not in the office. Mm. So uh, yeah, it might be a long road, but our for us, it's really about like, okay, how do we progress someone appropriately um, with good timing and um, for us, I think a chiro- you know, a t- typical chiropractor sees people three times a week, sometimes for life, which is <laughs> the bad rep that chiropractors get. Mm-hmm. So for us, we really want to see someone four to six times and get them on a good path and then get them on a strength program. Mm, I like that. Yeah. With the, um, I kind of want to get back to corporate words cause I know a lot of people are probably listening to this sitting down and yeah. so let's talk through some of those steps of somebody that does sit down all the time outside of breathing and maybe just doing bigger belly breaths when they can remember or when they, you know, when they think of it, what are some other ways for somebody to prevent not after outside of their job, but during their job, the ailments that come along with sitting for a long period of time? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing would be like a solid ergonomic assessment, Hmm. um, which we have all our patients do. So they send us a photo of them at their desk, which is oddly enough, like people get really embarrassed by that. (laughs) 
do they really? Yeah, but like, hello, a photo does not lie. Like, we have people that think they sit immaculate, super upright, and it's terrible. So, um, <laughs> this, this is me. This is my desk right now. Just random <laughs> spots on my living room floor. <laughs> it's good. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes yeah. you not move. Yep, so, true. Yeah. I'm always wiggling. But I do think I get I get way too hunched way too quickly. So you would not approve of my my picture, my desk I mean, picture. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like we're not meant to sit for hours on end, right? Life's meant mm-hmm. to be dynamic. We're meant to go for a run and then go for a walk and then squat and pick up something heavy and then take a nap. And, you know, we're just not meant to sit for hours on it. So an ergonomic assessment. So at least like everything's ideally uh, set up. If you're what do you look, yeah. What do you look for in that? I would love to get into this. Yeah. So um, you would be surprised how many people sit and don't have their feet on the floor mm-hmm. and they kind of tuck their legs underneath their chair and like basically use their hamstrings for stability all day and then wonder why they have tight hamstrings. Um, So feet on the floor and your screen should be like, if you're sitting up straight, should your eyes should hit the top third. So if you're sitting up straight and you kind of took your eyes and drew a little line to to your screen, you hit the top third because that's typically, yeah, where we're checking emails and writing kind of at the top third of the screen. And if it's lower, that's when we start to see that head tilt. Yeah, we kind of like hunch over and jut our chin. It's the typical thing. A lot that's of what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yes. Um, that's okay. You're trying to reach for the microphone. Um, a lot of programmers use the bottom third. So they're like a whole different beast. We have to like jack their screen up even higher. Got it. Um, and then oftentimes they're, um, the table will be really high. So they'll be kind of like little, like have little T Rex arms as they're trying to type. So. Um, whether that's like lifting the table up and down or moving the keyboard. Um, and then you would be surprised how many people their chair like rocks back, like they're low riding in a Cadillac. <laughs> so, um, just like shocking. Rad and dirty. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, wait, you are a professional like CEO of a hedge fund. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So we'll we'll play and you would be surprised how many um, adjustments and tweaks you can make to a chair, like how many knobs and up and down and locking out different parts. So and then so we'll adjust the chair as well. So do you have any spinal support, whether it's perpendicular or parallel to the body? I've seen a lot of chairs do that. What are your thoughts on those? Um, it almost like I it's kind of like your car. You know how your car kind of puffs up those. Yeah. Like, in my opinion, this is just my guess of what you're going to say is it almost makes your body forget how to do it, stabilize itself naturally. Uh, so is there a limit to how long you should have that type of support? What, do you ever use that type of support? Um, I do sometimes. So um, there's a certain body type in like a tall, stocky guy where like they literally cannot find that natural curve in their low back. In that case, we're going to help encourage it. You know, our people, we ask them to, and it might be a lot, to sit for 20 minutes, stand up for 20 minutes if they have like a standing desk. So it's like up, down, up, down. Yeah. Um, and then like go take a break and go get some water and go to the restroom like at least like every 45 minutes. So um, that lumbar support that you're talking about is really not that great in like women who are really sway backed and almost hypermobile 
because it like encourages that. And now they're overusing their lumbar erectors and their paraspinals and jamming their facets. So we really make it individualized and look at who's in front of us and what do they need. Mm. Yeah. I like that a lot. With uh, any of those chairs or setups, what's your ideal situation? Is it sit up, stand up desk? Is it stand up fully all the time? Is it uh, any specific type of chair? Is there anything that you think is like, obviously bio-individual, but would you have, have something that you've seen a lot with your clientele? Yeah, I think, um, you know, on the same note, like we're not meant to stand all day either. So something that goes up and down, it'd be nice if the whole desk went up and down. A lot of companies are kind of trying to give the standing desk feel and they give the very desk, which is like something you put on top of the desk mm-hmm. and then that lifts so that the physical desk doesn't have to go up and down. Um, the thing with that is sometimes it doesn't feel really stable. So people will kind of grip in their forearms as they're typing because the platform of the very it's desk wiggly. is like, yeah, it's like a little wobbly. So um, yeah, a standing desk that goes up and down and chairs, you know, it's funny. There's like this whole movement of like the mesh chair, like the Herman Miller Aaron. And there's no studies on this. This is just like... Um, analysis in the office is I've seen a lot of men have labral tears in their hip from sitting in those mesh chairs because it doesn't really give support. Like you sit on the mesh and then if you're like a heavy guy, you kind of sink down a little bit and it creates this like kind of um, settling of the hips in the sockets. Oh my gosh. um, I don't know if it's like a higher predisposition, but I've just noticed like almost every single guy that comes into my office that has labral tear in his hip has been sitting in some sort of like Aaron mesh chair. So oh, I'm so glad you connected that. You know, I had a labral tear in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it had to be connected. I mean, it had to be connected with a lot of my physical activity and lack of mobility. Mm-hmm. Is happened, but it was so hard to like, I am so grateful that I could, I almost did surgery. There was almost like, you will never squat below 90 again. And I almost believed it. And it was just so wonderful to let my body actually, it took time, but for it to heal itself and it's completely asymptomatic. And I talked to this guy, um, one of my friends is a hip surgeon here at CU. Yeah. And he said that like a very high percentage of people have labral tear, labral tears, but they're asymptomatic. And so it can be more common than people realize. I think, especially with the way that our hips are, but it makes sense that it's connected to the way we sit. Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes you'll see a labral tear on an MRI. That's like an incidental finding. Um, and it's not necessarily symptomatic. So I think there's lots of people walking around with labral tears. I think it's like some sort of overuse or a lack of core stability. Um, that then, you know, creates an inflammatory process that makes the hip unhappy. Do you talk with nutrition a, a lot? I mean, I think my, we don't even have to get into nutrition because <laughs> I have a lot of podcasts on it, but do you address nutrition in your practice? We do. So um, we have a clinical nutritionist and um, for example, we see a lot of women with frozen shoulders and obviously there's a age and a demographic who also have thyroid issues. So we want them to not only be getting all the soft tissue work for their frozen shoulder, but dealing with any sort of underlying thyroid issue. Um, for some reason, we see a lot of like bilateral knee pain and like chronic adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, absolutely. So we have a clinical nutritionist, and then Gabrielle is joining us in February. Is she um, really? That's, that's exciting. A, oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, and we we already refer lots of people to one another. Um, so yeah, we'll have her clinical expertise. It's just like another layer on top of that. And for you, just the business side, because I know a lot of my listeners are business owners are listening or you know, they want to be a business owner. What was your initial step to, I mean, New York city is not non-competitive. So, you know, for you, you landed in New York city. Did you know you're going to build a practice in New York city? Did it take time for you to kind of settle on the urban wellness clinic or was it kind of just all in on doing this? I would love to know the backstory of launching the business, not necessarily career, but the business aspect and all the components that you have with it. Yeah. So when I first came to New York, I worked for a multidisciplinary clinic that was owned by an orthopedic surgeon. So I was the chiropractor and they had a physiatrist, physical therapy trainer, acupuncture. Um, but it was really very much a mill. So it was basically like how much could they bill for each procedure, unfortunately. And um, for the first year, I kind of sat there and I was like, did I get into the wrong profession? Because this feels really <laughs> unfulfilling. And I was just adjusting, like I was just doing manipulation. And um, I rented space for an, from an acupuncturist. And after about six months, I was basically like losing money staying as an employee at the um, other clinic. So I would go to the clinic um, that I had worked for from like 10 to seven and I would work, you know, my own patients um, from like 6am to 10 wow. <laughs> and I go work at the clinic. And then afterwards, after I was done at seven, I would work until like nine at night. So I was for six months, if not longer, really burning the candle at both ends. And, um, and then I went out on my own. And after three months, I was like, seen uh, 20 patients a week going up to like probably 60 patients a week. And I was just like, I can't do this on my own. So I brought in um, massage therapist and um, we did just a lot of adjusting and active release techniques. So just like a lot of release. And, you know, for me, I'm always like, how can I do it better? Like what else can I incorporate? Cause obviously not any single technique works for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I brought in a trainer who is a strong first kettlebell trainer. Um, and I had gone through a lot of trainers. Like I worked out with like 50 trainers <laughs> and I would be sore and like so destroyed the next day. And I just really wasn't given a lot of uh, instruction on form. And I was training for my strong first uh, level one instructor certification. And I came across Matt Semrick who's an amazing trainer for, he's been training for 21 years and he just like nerds out on form. So I brought him into the practice and then I brought in um, an associate and a billing manager and a receptionist. And um, now we also have an acupuncturist and Gabrielle is joining. And then we have Emily Splickle, who is this amazing barefoot podiatrist. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. So we have this whole, and it's really like, wanting to bring together um, everyone who really has this natural curiosity and also is just like, how can I do it better? What else can I give to my patient mm. to really optimize their movement and their life? I love Matt. I'm on Matt, your website and Matt's quote is, uh, make it simple but significant. 
Oh yeah. That's, that's powerful. Fun. Right. I love that. It's so true. We tend to overdo it all the time and just less is more. It just is really so much more. Um, talk to me about kettlebell training and why you like it. Uh, you know, what you could have, like mainly more, I guess more for people that are getting strong. You always put them on a strength program. So if someone's listening and they're still intimidated by strength programs, maybe they're used to body weight stuff, but they're not quite comfortable with heavier weight or kettlebell weight. Uh, I would like to talk about what your thoughts are of the benefits of strength training, just from not just, I mean, maybe your own personal experience, but when it comes to rehab and getting people to move correctly, uh, how soon, I guess I just want your take on strength training for clients that are suffering through pain or going through some healing. Yeah. So I think, I think certain muscles and movement patterns don't get turned on until you have to pick up something heavy. So like you could hinge your hips back to the wall. You could work on hip mobility you could work on a band around the knees, driving your knees out to work on lateral glute stability. But like until you hit, sit your hips back and have to bend over and pick up something and deadlift it, like, and really activate like glute max and get good core stability, like things just like turn on so much better when you have to pick up something heavy. Like no mm -hmm. amount of bar, you know, lifting your leg up to the side would give you the same amount of like amazing glute strength as like picking up a deadlift. Do you get kind of crazy when you're in New York and like there's bar studios every five <laughs> blocks? <laughs> um, you there's like three within like a two block radius of my office. You know, I think it's okay. And we have people that love it and it feeds their soul that's and that's true. fine. But yeah. like, balance it out with stuff that's more functional. And some people it's a hard sell and they're like, that's okay. So like if they're going to do a plank in their bar class, we just want to clean it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like is, a hard style plank from a kettlebell background. So is there a fitness trend that you just absolutely can't like even give it feed your soul uh, credentials? Oh God. <laughs> I hate throwing people under the bus. Um, so there's a technique in there's okay there's a lot of dance cardio going on in New York. Ooh. Um and I've seen a lot of women who do steady state cardio whether it's running long distance 6 days a week or going to their 2 hour dance cardio class in like 96 degree temperature um have incredible adrenal fatigue and hypothyroid issues down the road. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you'll look at some imaging of just like so much of the jumping and even like there's some like trampoline classes that happen in New York. Um, and, it, you know, I'll be looking at someone that's like 27 and you look at their spine on an x-ray and you're like, wow, that I've seen spines like that, like in your late fifties, early sixties. Like, mm. so, um, there's a lot of dance cardio in heated rooms for hours on end and people do doubles. Oh, <laughs> is, you know, it's like two like 90 minute classes back to back. And you're like, Oh my God, your poor adrenal glands. Same wow. now. Isn't it so common? Which is, ugh, I get so, okay. So what would you say to that person that once, cause I know this exists and I've used to be this person. So, and a lot of my challengers, they just come off this 21 day challenge and they're getting in, dabbling into strength programming, but a lot of them cannot quite let go of chronic cardio. 
Yeah, for sure. From your perspective, what's kind of the, it's not necessarily rehab, but what's a way to kind of get them to think about results in a different way? So I asked them, I asked them after your class, do you feel like the next day or two days after, do you feel like your muscles are sore or do you feel like your joints ache? Like what is it that you're feeling after that feels like results? And most of the time people are sore, but they're like their joints ache. And so I asked them, I was like, listen, I know you love it. It's so fun. I used to do it. I get it. But can we take two of those days and do strength training from a functional perspective um, and, you know, not worry about bulking up because that's not going to happen. And like, you can go do your classes the other days, but like, give us two days to get you strong so that when you go to your dance cardio class, you feel more stable jumping around. Yeah. I love that. That's a great, that's a good uh, trade-off, right? Yeah. And eventually you'll see like people will start to feel in their body like, oh, I actually feel sore after lifting a weight. And I feel like definition and tone in a change in my body composition. And I see this, like the adrenal paradigm, right? So the more you do, the more it's breaking down. So they they're like not seeing any muscle results and then they take a couple of rest days and they start to see some definition. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, that's our whole goal is this idea of like movement longevity. Like if you want to work out until you're 80, how can we help you do that with amazing form, breathing, functional movement, strength training, um, just to optimize and not be in pain. Cause I feel like so many people think pain is like a normal, <laughs> a normal thing to live with. Uh, yeah. Really our bodies like last symptom, last red flag of like, hello, like something is not moving or happening or stabilizing uh, properly. Mm. So yeah, I love that you address that. They, this is so great. I'm so glad I talked to a movement person because it's, been too long and I think it's so great to connect and I know that I like have to come visit you and Gabrielle and uh New York soon because I think we would get along just wonderfully absolutely Um, (laughs) I have a my question that I ask all my podcasters um if you know your spirit animal Mm. I'm totally a brown bear (laughs) oh that's so perfect (laughs) So I'm going to read this this book that I have. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, oh, I haven't. It's by Stephen Farmer, who just is like, you know, I, the most hippie shaman looking man I've ever could have met. I found this on Amazon. Um, a bear. I'm going to read bear for you. Just so you can know. I don't know if it specifies brown bear or black bear. Um, is there a big difference between their personalities? Um. There's a difference between like black bears and grizzlies, but I feel like I'm a bear because I, I like, I really like my feet on the ground. Like I've done um, mountain biking and skydiving and surfing. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm totally okay with not going fast downhill in any capacity. If I just like, I like to be like slow and grounded and methodical. And <laughs> Oh, this is good. Okay. Are you ready? This is your bear. I'm ready. Um, you're assertive and confident with a strong presence. You're a powerful healer, whether your focus is physical, emotional, or spiritual, or all of the above, it sounds like. 
um, you need periods of reclusiveness for your creative spark, and you typically emerge from these periods with new ideas and projects. Totally. Do you love winter? I don't love winter, but I do love my alone time. And you're very independent, preferring to do things yourself rather than asking for help. And you are a survivor. That is totally on point. I love it. I have this bear shirt. I need to send you. It's a be strong bear shirt. If you, I'll make sure I get it out to you. <laughs> well, yay. And I, you know, this will air kind of end of January. I know you had some stuff come up, um, but I would love to know, even if it is past date, what you're doing, where people can find you, uh, your website social media, kind of the whole nine yards. So uh, urbanwellnessclinic.com is our website. And all our social media handles are Urban Wellness Clinic, except Twitter is um, Dr. Emily Kybird. And I'm doing some talks. I'm doing some Instagram takeovers. We always hold workshops at our space, strength workshops. Um, so we're taking over HB Fit's Instagram on the 20th of January. Um, I guess this is going to be the end of January. We're, we're doing a girl boss panel talk of women and wellness on the 24th. And hopefully in March, I just became birth fit regional director for upper Manhattan. Woo-hoo. So woo, I know it's so exciting. I love them. Um, so we'll be doing like pre and postpartum series how to get your core back and stay strong and prevent diastasis and pelvic floor issues um, after birth and, you know, prep, just prepping to push out a baby period. Cause I know what that's like. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Well, this is so great. Um, seriously, thank you for coming on to the show. This is really, really fun. And I am excited to have people listen to all these wonderful tricks and tips on moving better for longevity. So keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. 